0: morning comes from Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. We began this first Sunday in Lent often um, with Jesus' temptation. and Today we'll listen to Matthew's account of Jesus' temptation. If you'd like to follow along with your pew Bible, you may. It is on page 3 in the New Testament section. I'll invite right, you now to listen to God's Word. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be, become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, Do not put your Lord, your God, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Every once in a while, I make it a point to watch a theological movie. You know, one of those really deep ones, the kind that leaves you pondering all the intricacies of faith for days and weeks on end, the kind that aren't afraid to wrestle with tough questions. There's one uh, that I watch from time to time. um, Maybe you've seen it as as well. It speaks directly to this question of identity and, and temptation and the devil. The mother, the main character, is always trying to point out to her unexpected son the dangers that they will try to work their way into his life, and she's quick to name them out. Any guesses? The scene from the movie is in the bulletin cover. Take a look. Any hints? How about this one? Foosball is the devil. Yes, I'm talking about that movie. If you graduated sometime between 1990 and 2010, you may know exactly the movie that I'm talking about. It's called Waterboy. Um, Bobby Butcher, played by Adam Sandler, helps us tackle um, these difficult questions of faith. His mom, played by Kathy Bates, wants to protect him from things like football and or what she calls foosball, as in protecting from school and girls, each of which identifies, she identifies, as the devil itself. It's it's a ridiculous movie, really. I know, and and I'm not about to stand up here and try to draw connections between football and the the life of Bobby um, Butcher and and his mama with lint and temptation, but at the end of the day, In some classic Adam Sandler way, maybe the only way that Adam Sandler can do it, we're left with this. For Bobby's mama, anything that tempts her son's identity is evil. In her eyes, the devil wants to make him believe that he's something besides her beloved son. And that's where we find Jesus this morning. And not in some swappy wilderness down by Louisiana, but in the wilderness by the Jordan, where Jesus, after his baptism, is tempted to be something other than who Jesus is. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's take a step back and see how we got here. Uh, today is the first Sunday in Lent. The first Sunday in Lent, is, and we begin with Jesus' temptation, because Lent is a time for the church to have intentional introspection about self-examination. is a time to take a look at the lives that we are living and to gain some self-awareness about where we are and where we're going, about where we are compromising and where we are taking the easy way out. It's a time for change or repent as we say at church. Now, all repent means is to turn around and to receive the gift of God's forgiveness and grace as God recreates each of us. It's also a time for us to look forward to that Sunday morning. Forty days or so from now, as we proclaim our boldest and but yet scariest truth as a church, that Jesus of Nazareth was God's only son, that he lived and he died for us and for our salvation. That God raised him from the dead and therefore death does not have the power over us. God's love and God's grace are the victor. As one pastor said, this is not an affirmation that we can make lightly. It's not an affirmation that we can casually make as a church. Therefore, Easter requires some preparation. And that preparation is what the church calls lit. It frees us back to our text. We begin our preparation here in the wilderness. Alongside Jesus, he's about 30 years old. Just about the same age when people begin to have second thoughts about career or their life direction, their meaning, their theology, their vocation. Just right before we encounter Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus has his own self-awareness. What so one of our students in our youth room called this morning, Jesus had a come to Jesus moment. Coming out of the waters, Jesus hears God say, You are my child. You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Soaking wet, hearing the voice of God, Jesus must decide how to live out. This new call. Precisely here, at this point, the Bible says that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice this was not Jesus' idea, as if Jesus goes on some hike in the Appalachian Trail to go find himself. Nah, no. the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. For whatever reason, this is part of the whole process. Throughout the entire Bible, wilderness and temptation are always related to one another. Do you remember a few decades ago, uh, this book came out by Robert fulman and all I really need to know, I learned from kindergarten, uh, Fuhrman, uh, Fuhrman, 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 argues you don't learn the deepest in wisdom in graduate school or at the top of some mystic mountain, but in kindergarten, right there in the sandbox, playing with other children, you learn life's wisdom there Like sharing everything, playing fair, clean up your own mess, say you're sorry when you hurt somebody, don't hit, and when you're out in the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. And fulgrim got his deepest wisdom from the life in kindergarten. Perhaps we get our deepest deepest wisdom from the Christian life from Sunday school. I'm not sure about you, but as as good as teachers I had growing up in Sunday school, the time, well, the time's a little bit hazy now. A friend of mine said that it was for her too, except for one thing. Her teacher told her in fifth grade Sunday school class, the best measure of a person, the teacher said, is what you do if you knew no one would ever find out. Now, it strikes me as general worldly wisdom, more so than the gospel truth, but it's a near miss. You get close to the wisdom of Jesus, out there in the wilderness, all by himself. Because what the is telling us, that when we take away all the lust for reward, and all the fear for punishment, then what we do in life, goes out of who we understand ourselves to be. The teacher, she was getting close to the gospel ethics that springs from our identity. Decisions that we make in life are a product of who we understands ourselves to be. But there's only one problem. In that light, our view of temptation often becomes pretty shallow. In ordinary terms, we think temptation is that urge to do something that we like to do, but we know we probably shouldn't do it. Like grab that one more cookie, or that one more cigarette, or that one more fling. Deepest temptation in life is not the urge to misbehave. It is to be who we are not created to be. This Is the message of Jesus' temptation. Now, first glance, the temptation of Jesus seemed like it has nothing to do with his identity at all. And they're actually really odd temptations if you think about it. Let's take a look at closer of what those temptations were that was of Jesus. Hitting a rock so people could have food, what's wrong with that? Connecting heaven and earth together, isn't that the whole point? Being the king of all of us? I think that's why we celebrated Christmas, to welcome the king of kings. These are the things that Jesus does. Yet, they're all the things that Jesus is. So what's the tempter up to? The tempter is not tempting Jesus to become something that Jesus is not. Jesus is the bread of life. Just ask that woman in Samaria. Or there are crowds of 5,000. Jesus is the head of the church. Ask Peter and the disciples that came after him. He, and as we know, he is the king of the kings. If we pull back the layers of these temptations, what we see is the devil shifting Jesus' focus from why he came to earth to be who he is to how he gets his identity. In a book, Written in the 1970s, Dr. Lynn, Robert Lynn, um, recognized that the church, during the veteran years, decided that the best Sunday school superintendent was the railroad man. Why? Because these men knew how to keep time. They knew how to start and to stop time. They knew how to keep the church moving along, right along. For these churchgoers, the future was promising. They were not able to speak um, without linking their religious future with all the promises of this brand new country. They knew exactly why they were doing what they were doing. Now fast forward that to the second half of the 20th century. And the stopwatch for that railroad man was replaced with strategic plans from the corporate America man. As church attendance began to slow after the booming years that followed World War II, churches all across America became fixated on creating strategic plans. The focus of why we attend church shifted to how do we keep the church machine running? How do we keep the church growth? in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. What if? What if focused so much on the how? Over the last 40 or 50 years, the church forgot why. What if to get us refocused on the why? Jesus has moved the entire church into the wilderness. We're at the good news of all the changes that the church is going through right now. Some that make us really, really nervous, including the declines. The, the question relevance any community thinks the church has nowadays. And even some of our own polarization is the Holy Spirit driving us into the wilderness where we're being tempted to face our identity. Forced to move away from how and being focused on why. Which, saying out loud seems awfully freeing, but rather scary. If Jesus starts with how, sure, Jesus could have cut the rock and ended all the hunger. Oh, fallen down on heaven, fallen down in heaven and earth would have been reconciled and bowed, and he would have been the king of the world. But to do that, he would have omitted all the teachings, the encounters, the healings, and the growth. Sure, Jesus would have could have avoided the cross. In doing so, he would have avoided the betrayal of the crowds, the agony pain, and the suffering of death. But avoiding why would have forgone God's power of raising Jesus from the dead. And without that, power of struggle and violence and selfishness and fear would always win. And the world would miss the heart of the gospel. We would have never had Easter. So it was time. It's time. It's time for the church to recognize and to realize that we are in a wilderness. It's time for us to recognize the temptation of the tempter. For us to focus on, not on that question how, that the tempter wants us to focus on. It's time for us to stop, focus on such a question of how to bring young people to church. It's time for us to stop, focusing on how to entertain our children and our youth and how to fit love and family values and political ideas into a neatly tight box. It's time for us to stop asking how to segregate people into winners and losers and how to protect each other from foosball and schools and girls. All in the name of love It's time. It's time to accept that the wilderness is not easy nor efficient. We begin with why. And why require us to listen to people that the rest of the world wants us to ignore? Why is not deficient? Because why is going to loosen our boundaries and make us really, really uncomfortable? Why is going to ponder a God bigger than our, our questions and even bigger than our answers? Why is going to trust God with our entire fate? It's time. It's time to tackle the wilderness like Jesus tackled the wilderness, namely by reducing our faith to its essential core, our identity as children of God. time to take a stand there. To live it out with everything that we have and with everything that we are. It's time. Not because the church needs to save the world. Jesus is already busy doing that. It's time because the world needs the church to reconcile that God actually loves us. And I wonder if that's our biggest fear. I wonder if our biggest fear is us reconciling that God actually loves us. And so we're tempted, devoid with dealing with it. And so we get busy being busy. And we focus our attention on efficiencies and strategic plans. All to avoid the question that we fear the answer to. Why would God go to such lengths for us? Why would God go to such lengths for me? With all my baggage. With all my wounds. With all my scars. Why would God? Call me child. Why did God name me beloved? For God to answer, this is exactly why I was not able to click the rock or fall on the ground or bow down. This is why it's taken so long and why it will continue to take so long. Don't you see? Don't you see I did it for you? I crossed the borders of Samaria for you. I healed Peter's mother-in-law and all the other people for you. Now I fought for the poor and I told Zacchaeus to get down from your ivory towers for you. I fed the 5,000. And I broke bread with the 12 for you. I built this church and I call you disciples for you. I bore that cross. The pain, the wounds, the scars, death. Because I knew one day you would say, it hurts. The pain that I'm feeling is too much. The wounds are too scary. The scars are too ugly for anyone to love me. For Jesus to take our hand and place them on his own wounds. Put them in the holes of the cross. And say to us, I know. I know. I know the hurt. And I will not stop until you know that I love you. I will not stop until you know that I've always loved you. I do not care how inefficient the world thinks that I am or how much more efficient the world thinks that I can be. You mean too much to me. I will not stop until you know that I love you.